0: Hello, hello, hello. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, indeed. Oh, it feels good to get to the weekend, let me tell you. Welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 45. That's right. The number of not just my favorite president of all time, but the greatest president of all time. No, but it is the number of my favorite pitcher of all time, Pedro Martinez. That's right. Sports Kiki, episode 45. This one's for you, Petey. Uh, You can find the show wherever you can find your favorite Outsports podcasts. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Listen, download. You know the drill. Have an interesting interview for you this week. Tony Morrison is a senior social media producer for Good Morning America. We're having him on because it seems like a super cool job, and I would like it. So that's what we'll talk about No, We'll talk about... Uh, A really great story that Tony broke this week, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, we know a lot about them with the vaccines. Boy, they've been in the news a lot. Well, they've launched a study that could lead to the removal of restrictions on blood donations by gay and bisexual men. As we know, the FDA implemented a lifetime ban on blood donations for all men who are sexually active with other men after 1977 due to the HIV AIDS epidemic. Five years ago in 2015, that lifetime ban was, stra- was dropped to a one-year ban after sexual activity with other men. At the onset of COVID, with a nationwide shortage of blood donations, they loosened up that ban from a year to three months. And now they want to eliminate it entirely. And I say it's about damn time. Can you believe this garbage law has been on the books? in some form or fashion, since 1977, given how much we've learned about AIDS and HIV and how, no, it doesn't just affect sexually active gay men, it affects every person of every gender, every orientation, and we still have this ban on our books. Long overdue for this study to be conducted and long overdue for this heinous discriminatory law to be repealed and struck down. I guess it's not a law as much of a rule. Regardless, it's discriminatory and should be struck down. So we talk with Tony Morrison about that in his great reporting and story this week. But before I get to Tony, a couple of out sports items to take care of in the opening. We had a big coming out in the world of sports this week. Former elite level skier Hig Roberts came out as gay last Sunday. And he had an interesting line. In an Instagram post that Sid Ziegler picked up for a piece this week, Roberts talks about, and man, is he handsome. Oh, man. Whenever you can have a coming out story with a picture of a hunk like that, it's worth clicking on twice. Uh, <laughs> Roberts talks about life living, uh, living life in the closet, professionally and publicly, even after accepting himself for being gay at a young age. This is what he says. I remember acknowledging that I was gay with ease. When I was young, an immensely competitive boy. However, as I grew older and embarked on my professional athletic career, this confidence with my existence slowly wilted and eventually died. He said notions that he was the only gay one in skiing haunted him. There are so few out gay male athletes across all elite levels of sport, as we've talked about quite a bit. Uh, the last few weeks in particular, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, the the lack of visibility caused Hig Roberts to remain in the closet publicly, even though he says he had accepted himself for being gay and embraced himself for being gay since he was young. So you read a story like that, and it tells you the importance of coming out and why we still need people in all facets of life, including sports, to come out of the closet, because visibility is the way that you erase stigma and. Now, if you're a gay skier or a gay elite male athlete in general, you probably feel a little less alone with Hig Roberts coming out, and you feel a little less alone with each and every athlete who comes out, and each and every person who comes out, as we've said all the time, they're trailblazers in their own communities. So we get asked that question a lot, you know, coming out stories really in 2020, soon to be 2021, are they really necessary? Uh, Yes, they are, and if you have any doubts, read some of these athletes themselves, including Kig Roberts, who came out this week. So that's one story. The other story is something I wrote. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Casey Stoney is uh, the manager for the Manchester United women's team in the UK. She is also a former English soccer captain. She captained Great Britain's women's soccer team in the London Olympics in 2012. I'm mentioning her because she made some comments this week to BBC that caught my attention. She was talking about the language surrounding LGBTQ people, right? You're accepted. We accept you. It's one of the biggest cliches we have in our vernacular, right? When people, when we come out, we've always been told, oh, we accept you, all of that. Well, she says that that is a loaded term. Stoney says that the word accepted implies that same-sex relations are a character flaw that should be forgiven. These are her comments. Why shouldn't my life just be accepted, she told the BBC. It's like I have to be accepted by society and I don't like it. It's not the right word to use if we're talking about equality and human rights and just loving another human being. It should be the most normal thing in the world. So that's interesting. And Stoney came out as gay in 2014, again speaking to her point of visibility. She cited the support Tom Daly received when he came out and announced he was dating a man. So look, I don't like being a stickler for this kind of thing. You may remember earlier this fall during the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings, I defended her, ACB, uh, when she used sexual preference in those hearings. I said that Yeah, I think a little out of date the term, but I don't think she meant any malice by it. I don't think anybody who uses that phrase means any malice by it. They just are a little out of date with the most uh, updated lingo, if you will. That's really all I think it is, and this is an extension of that. I mean, I do want to preface this by saying I think this is largely semantics, and thus largely just a philosophical conversation, but... Stoney raises the point. Casey Stoney raises the point, And I agree with her. You know, like I said, I don't think people mean malice when they talk about accepting LGBTQ people and gay people. But that word acceptance makes it seem as if we're being gr- granted permission to carry out our lives. You know, straight people aren't told they're accepted, for example. I, the key is support, right? you don't just want acceptance, you want support, that's the most important thing that can be given to a gay person, it encourages us to be out and proud, so I like support, I don't hold it against you if you use accepted, but it's an interesting exercise, and like Casey Stoney, uh, I agree, it implies that, again, you've done something that, should be, that, that needs to be forgiven, you know, oh yeah, that's fine, you know, Oh, Alex is a good friend. Yeah, he's late all the time, but, yeah, we accept him for his flaws. Like, again, it implies that being gay is a flaw that needs to be accepted. At least that's how I read it. Curious to hear your thoughts. You can always hit me up on Twitter. My name is at AlexReamer1. So, again, Tony Morrison from Good Morning America. He's coming up next to talk about his big report on restrictions possibly being lifted for gay and bisexual men giving blood. It's a big story. I'm excited to talk with him. That's on the other side. It's the sports Kiki. And welcome back to the show. It is the sports Kiki podcast and Kikiing with us here as we head into this holiday weekend or well, semi holiday weekend, I guess is Tony Morrison Uh, As I said earlier, he's a senior social media producer for Good Morning America. Wow, that sounds like a cool job. And he definitely wrote and uh, broke a cool story this week. The FDA is going to launch a study that could lead to the removal of restrictions on blood donations by gay and bisexual men. Uh, Tony, welcome to the show. How are you, man?
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the uh, time to talk about this report.
0: Yeah, yeah. So as I was saying uh, briefly in the opening, uh, you know, due to the HIV AIDS epidemic, the FDA, which has been in the news all the time recently with the vaccines, uh, implemented a lifetime ban on blood donations for all men who had sex with other men after 1977. And then that ban stood, this complete ban stood, until five years ago when it was scrapped to just one year, you know, only one year after sexual activity. Then at the start of COVID in the spring, they loosened it up to a year to three months. Um, But still, three months is a long time. More than 500 doctors signed a letter to the FDA urging them to loosen the requirements even further. Uh, obviously, they have not been listened to, at least until at least into, as of now. We'll get into more of that later. But I guess the first question is, Tony, as someone who's dug into this, what is the continued reason for these restrictions? Because, again, I would repeat that, you know, up until five years ago, the lifetime ban still stood.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of different layers to this policy. There's, there's risk, there's stigma, there's science. Um, And at the end of the day, the FDA is putting money towards a study that will hopefully end this policy. But the fact remains that the U.S. is actually very, very behind in terms of uh, kind of uh, lifting and easing these restrictions. Um, I believe it was Italy, according to uh, the National Library of Medicine, uh, National Institutes of Health. In 2001, Italy rolled back. Hmm. Um, wow, their restrictions and the, the oh, decades ago, you know, and just this week, the UK announced their easing restrictions, which previously that matched the three month deferral period that the US has right now. Uh, they announced that they were listing those completely based on the research that they have engaged on. And that takes place mid 2021. Um, this story came to me uh, in April. So we've been covering this for a few months now and uh, excuse me, it came to me in March. Mm. And personally, I, I, I knew there were some hurdles around gay men donating blood, simply given the HIV risk of it all. There's no secret there. There's higher risk in certain communities within the LGBT community. But in March, really at the start of COVID, a surgeon general came out and recognized an urgent impact on the nation's blood supply. Now, how does our country on a typical uh, typical year get blood? It's blood drives, of course, you know? So if you imagine a number of blood drives coast to coast on any given day or weekend, all of a sudden that stops nationwide. There's inevitably a blood shortage, a crisis uh, that needs to be averted, right? So it's out of this plea in March from a federal level that amplified the issue and limitations on gay men's ability to give blood. It's been an issue, as you mentioned, that's been raised for years. Uh, and now when we need it most, it seems like it's recognized that there is a pool of eligible individuals in the country who are being heavily restricted against their counterparts in terms of sexual preference on the sole basis yeah. of sexual preference. Um, so really what what it comes down to with the individuals that I have spoken to is it comes down to uh, stigma really lingering uh, within this policy. Like you mentioned, this was born out of uh, the HIV AIDS crisis of the 1980s. When really limited testing technology existed, Uh, the FDA initially, like you said, implemented the ban in 1983, and for 32 years, uh, there was a complete and total ban on gay men not being able to give blood at all, simply because the testing capacity didn't exist. And what's happening now is, sure, we're we're catching up, but the testing capacity is still um, being burdened by... Uh, the stigma of HIV and and it's uh, fear base.
0: and maybe we already answered the question, and it is stigma. But why has the policy here in the U.S. so dramatically been behind the science on this?
1: I mean, it, there are issues on both sides. You know, the FDA uh, they they continue uh, to uh, affirm that it's their responsibility to protect the nation's blood supply, right? And then there's the medical community that says this is now an openly discriminatory policy because how can you have a blanket ban on a a community of individuals and and not base it solely on individual risk? So what the FDA is doing, to their credit, is they are launching this study, which is a groundbreaking study because it involves the nation's leading blood suppliers, and lgbt community centers across the country it's going to take some time uh, but what the study entails is they're uh they're going to include 2,000 men who have had sex with other men who wish to donate blood and they're going to take uh that that data to generate data to help the fda determine if a donor questionnaire based on individual risk would be as effective as a time-based deferral in reducing the risk of hiv
0: yeah, and then so, yeah, so explain a little further uh, how this study is going to work and what the timetable for it is.
1: Yeah, so the FDA is not giving an official timeline, but the the lead researcher that I was able to speak with, their goal is to be able to deliver their data by the end of 2021 to the FDA. So we're looking at about a year out before the FDA even looks at any data around uh, the findings of this study. But it's happening, Uh, you know, it's very much overdue. But again, I think that especially in in the climate that we're in, uh, all things considered, the FDA, as you said, definitely has their hands full. But there is also the risk of this this blood shortage. So the question remains, you know, how how restrictive can you be when there is such a shortage? Uh, When you do have a pool of individuals who are eligible and who are healthy and who are in reality not, a, not at a risk or uh, posing a risk, I should say, to the nation's blood supply. Because again, this, this rule really is a blanket rule over an entire community of individuals. Uh, the head of the American Medical Association told me that they, they are completely against this FDA policy at all. Um, and HIV specialists that I've spoken to also have, have reiterated that this current policy is not based in modern day science. So, yeah, uh, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of road left. But again, there is there's some promise that we will catch it to to other countries who have been uh, ahead of the game in this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has to be stigma. And I also think ignorance, because I was reading back The New York Times had a story about, again, that after they shortened the restrictions from a year to three months in April, you still had more than 500 doctors sign a letter saying, you know, the restrictions need to be loosened even more. And a point the doctors raise that is so right is that, you know, if I'm a gay man, and I'm in a monogamous relationship with my boyfriend, and I take PrEP, or how? even if I'm not in a monogamous relationship and I'm still taking PrEP, I mean, you can say that I am less risky than, let's say, a straight guy who is not taking PrEP and having sex, unprotected sex, with multiple partners. I mean, it's just—and that seems obvious to me, but I don't know, Tony, how many straight people in the world are really attuned to PrEP and just the, uh, the advancements that have been made medically.
1: No, you're totally right, and and that's the nail on the head with that. I mean, what really caught my attention with uh, reading more into this story and kind of what launched us into reporting on this and continuing to follow the story is I really took a step back and on a personal level just was thinking one of my colleagues who is, is gay and is married in a monogamous race, relationship uh, uh really has zero HIV risk in their life, could not give blood because of this rule, simply because based on the fact uh, federal policy states, because you have a sex with another man, you are barred from donating blood, period. Yeah. It, the, the, the idea that it's not risk-based in 2020 um, was alarming. And for us to be the kind of behind in this in this way, I think warranted the reporting that it's gotten here at, at ABC. And uh, Dr. I, I will say Dr. Hahn... Uh not the FDA Dr. Han, but Dr. Monica Han at UC San Francisco Health, who has helped me a lot with this reporting. She's an uh HIV specialist in prevention and management. We talked a lot about this, the incubation period and really the science around the HIV virus, right? And she really was telling me that the three-month period is it, it it doesn't really make sense in terms of science. The testing today can, can determine within 10 days of a possible transmission from when that, that happens. So you can detect that in, in blood. So 10 days versus three months, the science doesn't add up, um, And I think that the medical community has really echoed
0: that. Yeah. And I mean, even just in terms of PrEP access, I mean, really what we're talking about now, unfortunately, and we see this obviously across the world, is that HIV AIDS has largely become a socioeconomic thing. You know, if you are if you are covered with health insurance, and you can obtain PrEP, uh, then you're cool. If you can't obtain it, then you're not and you're still at risk. So it's really more of a socioeconomic thing at this point in terms of HIV exposure than anything else.
1: No, 100%. And I, at the end of the day, look, there's no uh, – the, the individuals that I've spoken to have said repeatedly, there's no scientific reason, in their opinion, medical professionals, I'd reiterate, to have this span at all because the testing pack capacity exists, exists today, and it's been truly revolutionized since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Why does it take – more than 12 months to gather said data from 2,000 gay men with this FDA-funded study. That's a whole other report in itself. Um, but who knows? As all things COVID, um, maybe you know LGBT uh, community advocates like GLAAD and Human Rights, Human Rights Campaign are advocating that this really gets moved up and prioritized because at the end of the day, it is a a federal. Guideline that's openly discriminatory against Americans.
0: So yeah, Tony, it's it's very interesting reporting, and uh, like we were saying, you know, it's amazing. You talk about how behind the U.S. is. You mentioned Italy, two thousand one. What are some other countries that have uh, that have been well ahead of us here?
1: Yeah, well, obviously uh, the U.K. Uh, and Italy, and I believe France is moving towards this also. Um, but to say that this hasn't been done before in the U.S. is, is groundbreaking in itself, albeit a little bit slow
0: is the only thing. Yeah. And uh, my last question for you, Tony, is I noticed that on Twitter, which I love to see, you're a man in media, a, a, uh, an LGBTQ uh, man in media. You have the rainbow flag uh, in your Twitter name. Um, at OutSports, we're all about visibility. So I'm curious what led you to that decision to display the rainbow bag flag so proudly uh, in your Twitter handle?
1: Well, you know it's interesting because I haven't always been out in the newsroom, and okay. to be out in a newsroom has really become an evolution in itself, you know so the the climate of inclusivity that we're in has really affirmed that that visibility and representation is key to success for not only you know your personal work and career, but really also in uh, the the company and outlet that you work for too, and the the stories that you're telling you know, really should be reflecting uh, the world that we all live and do business in. And uh, for me, as we cover more of these stories, it's become more more apparent that if your audience and your followers right. can see themselves in you, there is that trust, there is that output of content um, and the output of trust also that really kind of changes the game in terms of how stories are being told in new ways versus just Retelling other people's stories, um, and it really changes the game in terms of uh, being journalists, you know, and reporting on the world through your own lens and that lived experience. Not just not just leaning on other people's li- uh, lived experiences, but leaning into your own as well. So that's kind of a packed answer in terms yeah. of uh, uh, the power the power of the smallest emoji. But um, <laughs> very pr- very proud to be. I'm um, a journalist here in ABC News, very proud that we have a team here that lets us tell these kinds of stories um, and addresses both sides of many, many issues uh, today and many more to come.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And, and, you know, that's why, I mean, my work, I came out professionally about five years ago covering sports and, uh, you know, it, it's helped me immensely. I feel like whenever I tell a story about the intersection between gay, you know, the gay issues in sports, it's just much more powerful that I'm out and open. It's from our you know people telling their own stories is just so much more powerful. And I think it helps, I think it helps, it helps, it helps lend credibility as well.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's 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 the it's it's turning storytelling on its head in a way, you know, and there's always going to be more that are going to be told. Um, But I think that if, if there's anything that 2020 has taught us, it's to it's to really be aware of your surroundings and the individuals around us also, you know, to kind of carry that torch together in a way. Uh, and to tell stories that you wouldn't normally look at uh, on, on a normal basis.
0: He's Tony Morrison. You can follow him on Twitter at the Tony Morrison. That's all uppercase. The uppercase Tony Morrison. <laughs> uh, right. Tony with a Y as well, not with an I. Uh, Tony, thanks for, uh, thanks for hopping on the show, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. So thank you all for tuning in to another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. And a big thanks go out to our man from ABC, from Good Morning America, Tony Morrison, for hopping on the horn and joining us. So long, everybody. Hey, enjoy your weekend. Uh, Enjoy your holidays. Enjoy your holidays this week. Uh, And we will be back with a new episode next Saturday, December 26th. That's right. I'm doing overnight shows on CBS Sports Radio. Some nights during Christmas week. Christmas Eve, I will be on the air. 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. into your early Christmas morning. So if you're up, if you're an insomniac, if you're, put me on and let's uh, let's talk some good sports. So talk to you then. Next show comes out on Saturday. Enjoy your holidays. Be safe. And we'll talk to you then.